You're listening to Thriving Church Leadership, a church board development podcast. A dialogue to encourage church leaders to rise to the noble task of church leadership. Through a series of conversations with godly, experienced, and insightful individuals, we've dived deep into this very unique space of leadership, specifically formal church leadership, such as pastors, elders, deacons, trustees, and board leadership as a whole within the church. This is Brian Walker, and I am privileged to be your host today. I am here joined in the studio with my good friend, Brett Elder, as a co-host. How are you doing, Brett? Doing great. Thanks, Brian. Good. Hey, our special guest today is a, a, a dear friend and a fellow servant and a and a strong leader in ministry. Um, and we're talking to him. Um, he is on WhatsApp, uh, uh, one of our uh, tech items, and I'm introducing uh, John Lauder. Pastor John Lauder is the pastor of... Frontline Bible Church in Byron Center, Michigan. Also, John is the um, chair of the National Council of the Grace Gospel Fellowship, the network of churches around the country. John, hey, thanks for joining us. It's good to talk with you, brother. My privilege. It's great to be here today, actually. So we have a unique opportunity today as we tune in with Pastor John. John is in a space, in a place that it just warrants description. John, give us a little clue in it to where you are and what you're doing right now. Yeah, I can honestly say that uh, this place that I'm in right now not only warms my heart, but it warms my body right now. As uh, <laughs> I have the privilege of uh, being with my family and my, my wife and my daughter, uh, Melinda and Mallory, and uh, we are down in Curacao uh, ministering with churches down here. Uh, we, we left in, in mid November and we're going to be in Curacao for, uh, till about mid January. And then we're heading to Bonaire for about three months. So, uh, I've never had an opportunity to be away for this long from being a pastor, uh, and to feel like what it's like to be a missionary, but man, what a joy it's been to be here, to be a part of this church, to see what's happening down here in the ministry here. So it's great to see. Yeah, Curacao and Bonaire, though that's somewhere near South Bend, Indiana. Is I, I just don't it's I don't have my little, map out. It's a little south of there, <laughs> a little south of South Bend. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so Curacao and Bonaire are about uh, I think it's like thirty to fifty miles off the coast, the north coast of South America. Mm. So very close to Venezuela, Colombia. Um, so we're suffering for Jesus. I, I I like to tell people we're just north of South America because it sounds less. Um, vacation <laughs> than when I tell people I'm in the Southern Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So. I appreciate that. I, I think that tact is good. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so today we get we get the privilege. Uh, not only is is John just a, an experienced leader in a church, an experienced leader in the national ministry, of the Grace Gospel Fellowship, but John, we're, our, our topic today, John is is balancing pastoral leadership and family, and and that's that's a that's a challenge. And this idea of the insatiability of, of ministry leadership and, and um, John, the, the, the value, the, the incredible opportunity we have to talk with you right now is you are in Curacao and Bonaire to help this process. Uh, talk a little bit about even like your journey, your emotional, your family journey to be there why you're there, that, that process of yeah. that, and maybe even the, the sabbatical that you took um, five years ago. Just talk about how that plays into the, 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 the balancing act. You know, as a, uh, um, as a young man, I grew up in a pastor's home. 
And so my dad, my dad was a pastor. And in fact, uh, he was a, he just recently retired from being a pastor. Uh, but yet, even as a pastor emeritus, he still preaches and he still teaches and he's having fun with it. So ministry, watching family ministry is just, it's a part of my DNA. Um, so, you know, growing up, um, my dad never um, took a sabbatical. He never took an extended time away. Uh, in fact, uh, I think the longest he was ever not a pastor once he became a pastor was about four weeks. Mm. That was, and that was a kind of a tense time in our family when we were up in Virginia. Uh, but other than that, he was always a pastor. So, so, but and I saw there was always, uh, this family life and ministry life just kind of went hand in hand and it, it didn't seem to me to be a, a stressor. But I was challenged back about five years ago to take a sabbatical. And um, I, I had never been on one. I didn't know really too many people who had done one. But wow, what a difference. And I was gone out of the pulpit, out of the church for about three months. Mm. And and during that time, it really, really um, changed me in the sense of helping me break free from this feeling that I was the one responsible for my church. Um, because I saw there were great people who were carrying on, who were doing things. And when I came back, I saw the church had actually survived without me. Mm. And, uh, you know, not, not to say I was this egotistical person, but, you know, you begin to feel like as a pastor, like if you're not there, who's going to do this? And, uh, so doing that, uh, about five years ago, it really kind of set the stage for where I'm at right now. And, uh, being here in Curacao, uh, I, I really felt like for the sake of my family, I had a teenage daughter and she was going through some challenging times. And I saw that with the demands of ministry and I saw that with a lot of things, I needed to take a step back and we needed to do something together. Mm. What, and let me tell you something about American ministry, um, especially in the local church. Boy, it's amazing how segmented uh, ministry can become. Pastor goes to this meeting, pastor goes to that meeting, pastor goes to this meeting, pastor goes to that meeting. And rarely, it seems, are there opportunities, at least in the, my setting, when my wife and my daughter could join me and we could do ministry together. In fact, on Sunday mornings, you know, soon as service is over, I go one direction, my wife goes another direction, my daughter goes another direction, and we just don't get a chance to serve together like that. So I, I, I really felt like God was calling me, John, I want you to take a step away and really focus on doing ministry together as a family. Mm. And, and so um, when this opportunity came to go to Curacao, it was an opportunity to say, whatever we do in ministry, we're doing it together. Mm. And man, so, so it's John, been so much fun. Can you uh, yeah. paint a picture a little bit, just to the context, you've been in ministry at Frontline for a number of years. Tell us a little bit about how your church is set up staff-wise, um, leadership team-wise. Yes. Uh, so I've been a part of Frontline Bible Church. Uh, it's an honor, truly, to have done this. Uh, I've been a part of the church since 1996, so 26 years that I've been there. The way that our church is set up, uh, I, I like to tell people we are a small, medium-sized church. So just for context, we're a church of probably around 175 people. I am the sole full-time staff member at the church. We have lots of, well, I can't say lots, 
we have about six different part-time staff people uh, from a part-time youth leader, part-time worship person, part-time secretary, part-time custodian, those sort of things. Uh, so I'm the only full-time uh, staff member at the church. Uh, so yeah, my context is I'm full-time. The church is, is uh, run mostly by part-time staff as well as volunteers at the ministry. Awesome. That's helpful. Can you, um, <clears throat> I understand you recently sort of went through a structural change in terms of board and leadership teams. Can you describe what you had before, what you have now? Because this podcast is sort of directed toward, um, you know, cultivating thriving church leadership and the formal leadership within the church. So just kind of describe what you had, why you felt compelled to move to what you have now. Yeah. Okay. So back uh, when I first came to the church, we had a, a, basically a board and the board was made up, really, it wasn't elders or deacons, it was just board members. And that was existing for a lot of years. To be on the board meant you had to be a, a male because, you know, male leadership, uh, male elders. And so you had to be a male, you had to be a member, um, consistent of the church, everything like this. And so we, we operated that way for a, a good number of years, probably 10 years. Uh, then we made a switch uh, because we recognize, you know, clearly there are differences between elders and deacons. The, the functions of a deacon versus the function of an elder um, are different. And so in our particular context, what we did was um, uh, we, we, we wanted to tell people, look, to be an elder doesn't mean you're better than being a deacon or to be a deacon doesn't mean you're better than being an elder. They're, they're role differences. That's what they are. They're, they're, they're differences in how you are wired and gifted and strengths and things. So we broke our board into uh, a board of elders and a board of deacons. But together, the elders and the deacons came together to operate as the board. Mm. And so the elders would meet once a month by themselves. The deacons would meet once a month. And then we met together once a month. The problem with that, as we went through it, was um, because deacons were on the same level as elders to make up the board, and because we are a complementarian church, which means we see differences between the roles of men and women, it's not it's not differences in value, it's differences in roles. And uh, so because we were complementarian, we see the Bible clearly teaches that um, men are the spiritual leaders in the homes as well as in the church. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean women are not leaders. So uh, we didn't know how to involve more women in leadership. Because at the board level, you couldn't, you know, if if you would have a female deacon, she would be on the same level as a female elder, which are at the same level as an elder. So there were there were problems that we saw existing there. So about uh, two years ago, about a year and a half ago, we began a process and and actually loved the partnership that we saw with Rush Creek Bible Church from where you guys are at. Mm -hmm. Uh, As we were able to journey together, as you guys were making some changes. It, it helped kind of spur on some different thinking for us. And so just this past spring, uh, we made the, sh- the change to go from a board of that's made up of elders and deacons to now we have a, a, a board of elders and then we have a council of deacons and a council of trustees. Mm. And so the elders are, are men, men only, and that fits with our belief in scripture as a complementarian view. But yet we've been able to bring women on as deacons and to, to be able to complement 
both men and women as deacons and men and women as trustees. And all I can say is praise Jesus Mm -hmm. for how it is going. And uh, it has just been such a cool thing. Uh, our, Our head deacon is a female and wow, she's amazing. She is doing just a great job. Uh, in that seat and she's bringing people around her and the care, the care ministry of frontline is going way up because, because we have someone who is just so gifted and passionate at it. That's and, uh, and even with trust that's a super helpful context. Um, it's, it's one thing to have leaders around you to share the load when we're talking about balancing being the pastorate and balancing the pastor and his family and the family life. Um, can you describe maybe for us what it's looked like over the course of your last quarter century here at, at Frontline in terms wow, of so understanding, maybe leadership, understanding some of the challenges that a pastor faces and just really understanding how difficult it is as a pastor to um, basically have that hassle factor all the time, right, within the church. Um, do, you, do you think that understanding's been there? What role have you had to play in cultivating that understanding? So a pastor occupies a weird dynamic, especially in small church settings where maybe the pastor doesn't have pastors, plural, underneath them, you know, in, in, on, on an organization, you know. Um, but even in even in a church of my context, in terms of a medium sized church, small, medium sized church, I don't have a, a bunch of pastors. I have some, but I don't have a bunch of them. So you have this weird dynamic in that you are the shepherd of your church. Um, I mean, even the word pastor, poime in the Greek, um, comes from this idea of raising sheep. Okay, so when you when you look at the the, the concept of, of one of the one of the roles of this leader. Is, is the idea of pastoring or shepherding the sheep. And yet we also recognize we are simply under shepherds. Uh, you know, Jesus, he is the great shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And we are simply under shepherds. But, you know, it's, there's a, there is a, a tension that you live with because um, when, you, when, you, when you look at it as, as you're the shepherd, you can feel almost like um, I am responsible to care for all these sheep. Mm. Um, and, and so you can, you know, and I think you guys understand this in your own life. There's, there's a difference between taking ownership for something and taking unhealthy ownership for something. You know, we want people to be, to own their ministry things. We want them to feel like they are, um, like they, they have a, a sense of, 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 of weight that goes to their role there. But when you begin to take unhealthy ownership of it, you, you, you begin to hoard it and you begin to, you know, like hold it to yourself. And rather than realizing, man, I need to involve other people in this work. Instead, it's more of, nope, it's up to me. And I realized um, just this past year, actually, that a lie that I battle with in my life. And it took me until age 49 Hmm. to acknowledge this lie as affecting me. And that lie is this. It is up to me. It's up to me. In other words, it's up to me. If my church is growing, well, it's up to me to keep it growing. 
if my church is not doing so well, it's up to me to make sure it works better. If, if, uh, if, if people need to be ministered to, it's up to me to make sure this is happening. It's up to me. It's up to me. It's up to me. And it has driven me to be, um, um, a workaholic at times. Mm -hmm. I would even say a ministry aholic. So let me interrupt you there. Yeah. Uh, without naming names, of course, (laughs) I'm curious how many people in your congregation unknowingly perpetuate that lie? Praise the Lord um, that I've had some really good people in my life who have helped in some ways break that in my church. Um, people who have gone before me like the Jack Deans, um, who he was a mentor in my life early on. And one of the things that he did was was really kind of begin to break that stranglehold that the congregation had over the pastor, that the pastor had to be at everything, do everything, whatever else. And he helped break that. Scott Rolfe was another guy who um, helped me and the congregation see that I, I don't have to do this. I can't be at everything and do everything. But even with that, it's in my DNA um, because because of that lie. So thankfully, I don't think I have a tremendous amount of people in my congregation who hold me to that standard, Mm -hmm. unlike maybe some people who are listening to this podcast, who they may feel that crushing weight of their church Mm -hmm. to do this. Mm -hmm. I would almost go so far as to say, I've been my worst enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost like, you know, Mary and Martha, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, when Jesus shows up just for a visit and, and Mary just wants to hang out. And, and, and Martha, she's doing stuff. I always struggled with that story because I always struggled with why, why does like, I mean, what's wrong with providing a meal for Jesus? What's wrong for doing these things? Isn't this a good thing, you know? And then, and then, but as I've preached on it a few times and heard other wiser people than me talk about this, it wasn't that Jesus doesn't like food. It was, Martha's like going all out. Like, I want to provide all of this because that's what I think you deserve rather than saying, no, you know what you, what you ask of me right now is to simply be present and being a male, being a doer. Um, and I, I relate with Martha a lot. And I wonder how many times Jesus wants me to do everything I'm doing. When you think of, when you think of that, John, and, and, and I mean, that, that, Entire setup is such a great segue to to the content of this episode, um, which is this difficulty, this challenge of finding balance. Um, when, when you think of why is it difficult, is the balancing of work and ministry with family and life and having that proper balance is it? Do you think it's more difficult for a pastor? Um, is, is is there is there something about it that drives pastors down that path of of a, of a challenging balancing act short answer yes mm. tremendous and you know i i've heard it said that uh um marriage is the godliest mistress mm. i'm sorry ministry is the godliest mistress there mm. it is not not marriage that's that's a good thing uh, ministry <laughs> is, is the godliest Mistress, and we'll quote. And we'll pull out that quote from this this podcast. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, so we'll so we'll start again after a slight pause. <laughs> ministry is the godliest 
mistress. That's the problem because it, it seems so right. You know, when you get that phone call from that person who's struggling with a divorce and man, as your heart says, as their shepherd, I want to, I want to serve and I want to do this. And man, if I could save a marriage, isn't God excited about that? Saving a marriage, you know, man, when you, when you look at somebody who's in the hospital and, and, um, you know, even my dad, when he retired, he said, you know, John, he said, after all those years of ministry, when people would come up and thank me for, for being their pastor all those years, he said, you know, one thing they never told me, thank you for what you preached about this. Mm-hmm. He said, you know what they thanked me for? They thanked me when I sat next to them at the hospital when their loved one was, was uh, maybe dying or going through something serious. They thanked me when I listened to them after a morning service when they were going through something hard. The things they remembered, he said, were not sermons. It was when you were present with people. And so as a result, you know, we know this, but we also recognize I need to be preparing sermons. We recognize I need to be administrating in the church. I need to be doing all this stuff. But this this lure of being always available to your congregation, because that's what good shepherds do, right? So this lure of of always making yourself available, not having boundaries for family, Um it can be very tempting because in our minds we think, isn't this what Jesus would want me to do? Hey, John, isn't one, this of, my God? one of the things that you that really brought this conversation to light with me and you it is the conversations we've been having and this this lie that your your inside brain committee tells you that it's all up to you. And um, one of the things you said at one point was, and I think pastors will really relate to this, is you're sitting in, in up on t- up on stage and preaching, and you're seeing visitors. Or people walking in, as soon as you got done preaching, you would jet to the back of the building and have to greet everybody as they were leaving or coming in or whatever it was. And and that pressure, that internal pressure that says, "Listen, if this guy or girl is going to come back, it's going to be because I made a reach out to them." And and that uh, that inability to maybe see that from that perspective, um, how does that play out in a and maybe in the un, un, unhealthy side of balancing? How does that play out in the in the problem of finding balance when when you say it's all up to me, you know, just like the practical application, then maybe how do you how do you pull away from that and how have you reestablished that? What how have you worked toward balance in that area? Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that it took going away on a sabbatical mm-hmm. uh, for me to be able to realize that it wasn't completely up to me. In fact, man, I need my church. And so uh, I, you said, boy, I would look out. And, and now, now, granted, some of that is partly my inner problem, which is uh, I'm a people person. Mm-hmm. I, I love people. I'm an extrovert. I, I love connecting and meeting new people. And some of you hearing this are like, oh, that nauseates me. But it's just, it's like, it's the way I'm caught. Okay. But even as a pastor, even the introverts realize that as a pastor, you know, a lot of people, they may connect with the church, but a lot of times their connection is with you. And so I felt like it was almost my responsibility that I had to go make a connection with every person. And I had to, I get to know their names and man, people love it when you know their names and you know, when you would greet them the next time they came. And so, so this tension was there and service was over, man, I'm beating feet to get to the back. Cause, and then people, you know, you never you always, you know, Aunt Bertha comes up and she's like, Oh, pastor, I need to talk to you. I don't have time. I got to get to the back and meet the visitors. So Anyway, I go away on my sabbatical, 
and I'm gone for three months. And when I came back, there were new people who had come since I had left and they were loving it. Mm. They were enjoying it. And I thought to myself, I never even had a chance to meet them. So going away and having this time to step away and empowering my church family to be the church, not just attend the church for the pastor to do it, but to actually be the church of Jesus Christ, to be the hands, to be the feet, to all that stuff. Wow, what a privilege it was. And so ever since getting back from my sabbatical, when the service is over, I casually walk off the platform and I slowly walk my way back to the back. And I have time to stop and I talk to people. And you know what? I've watched my church family. They're the ones who greet the visitors. They're the ones who do this because I'm not the guy rushing out the back door, making sure that I'm the one that has to do this. Um, <laughs> when it, you, it's been a, a release. Is there, is there, as you were prepping for a sabbatical back in 2017 and, and, and you were wrestling with it, um, can you think of maybe some red flags now looking back at why that was important? If, if I'm a pastor and I'm, and I'm feeling that. What are what are some red flags? What are some things that you can recall, even maybe still today, where you are like, I'm I'm getting out of balance here. I, I'm I'm my ability to stay healthy in this in this ministry leadership role is getting difficult. Um, are, are there some things that a pastor might be able to think of or or reflect on to say, boy, that that really I'm I'm dealing with that today as well. Yeah, you know, um, thankfully. When I took the sabbatical, I, I wasn't on ministry death's door. Mm. Some pastors, you're hearing this, and for you, you need a sabbatical yesterday. Yeah. It's not a sabbatical today. You need it yesterday. Um, if, if you are completely overwhelmed uh, and, and feeling like ministry is up to you, like it's completely up to you. Like if, if you stepped away, Jesus's church would collapse. If, if you are feeling that today— I, I would encourage you to 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 speak with uh, to speak with to Brian, uh, Doctor Brian, to uh, speak to myself. I would love to talk to you or somebody else uh, just to help you sort through that stuff. Maybe you need to go get some counseling. Maybe you need to do some things. But if you feel like if it's completely up to you, this church would completely disintegrate if you weren't there. It's 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 time. It's time to take a step away. But I, I want to speak to the pastors who maybe you're not on ministry death's door. Because you, you were like me. You weren't sitting there thinking, I, I have to go away. It, it, was, it was more of this inner thing inside of me that said, John, I'm calling you away. It, and I'm calling you away before it gets to that point. Um, and, and so for me, some of, those, some of those things for me is if you've lost touch with what other churches, even in your area, are doing, maybe you need a sabbatical. Uh, I, 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 during my sabbatical, I was gone for 13 weeks and I made it my goal to visit 10 different churches during my, uh, 13 week sabbatical. And man, that was fun. It was fun to walk into another church and pastors. If you're hearing this, you know what I'm talking about. When you walk into your church, you know, you're working, you are on, this is, this is not a casual, I'm here to go to church. No, you realize you're wearing a hat and it's the pastor hat and you know, you're on Every pastor needs a chance to know he's not on. And to be able to walk into another church, I went to charismatic churches. I even went to a Seventh-day Adventist church. I, I went to different places. 
with this feeling of I'm here to attend rather than feeling like I'm working. And so if if you need a, if you've lost touch, maybe with some of the pastor or or the way other churches are functioning in here, maybe be a sabbatical. That was a great thing for me. And then also it was a chance for me just to step away from that ministry grind. I worked while I was gone going. Did you have a, uh, yeah. So I, as I listened to this, I understand sort of how pivotal the, the sabbatical was in, in your time yeah. of ministry. Um, short of that, it, let's, let's assume that maybe boards aren't ready for whatever reason to sort of grant a sabbatical. Yes. Short of that, what's your experience, Brian, as you talk to boards around the country um, in terms of their understanding of a need for a pastor just to, to not be on? Yeah. <clears throat> like take a week, go to a different church. You, you don't even have to leave town mm-hmm. To have an excuse to not be at our church. Um, ultimately, you don't have to have an excuse to go on vacation, but but literally, you need a break. Or is there always this expectation that, well, we hired you to be pastor. There are fifty two weeks in a year. Uh, you're preaching. You're preaching every Sunday, except for the two weeks we gave off. Yeah, that's. You know, this one of the core elements of our ministry is what we call healthy boards. And we're traveling, I'm traveling around the country and having an opportunity to meet with boards all around the country. And I find overwhelmingly in our churches and our network of churches around around the U.S. that boards desire health. They desire to be healthy as a, as a body of ministry leaders. And, and similarly, they desire, they deeply desire their pastor to be healthy and emotionally and spiritually and relationally and physically, and, and there's a deep desire there. The, the big question, though, is how do we get healthy? How do we as a board of ministry leaders find that space? Because it's really hard to genuinely then answer the question, well, then this is how we can make our, our pastor healthy also. Um, and so there's a... There's a, a, a a, probably what I would say is a a difficult understanding of how to get there. And, and so similarly, it's a two-way street because a pastor wants to be healthy also. I mean, clearly, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and they look at the church and they look at the board. And what pastors often do is they um, they they feel maybe an, an implied pressure or maybe an, even an unimplied pressure, just a ghost pressure of, hey, I can't leave my, my post here. I can't be away from this thing. And and there is an inclination for a pastor to say, well, my board doesn't get a break. They're all professionals. They don't get a break. They don't step away. And and there's there's different reasons why that's the wrong question or wrong statement to make and base your your statement off of. So there is, I think, to, to John's credit, he went into a space maybe without his board's definition, and then he worked with his board to help define what a healthy sabbatical looks like to say we want to we I need to do this my my board I want you to embrace this and the congregation I think John you really help blaze a really important trail about how did how is this what are some ways that I need to build healthy balance and let's give this sabbatical thing a try and it's not a 13 week vacation it's a it's a it's a very intentional effort to, to recharge and refresh batteries excellent so Real practical question here, Pastor John. If you're in town and someone dies, they tend to die at inconvenient times, mm-hmm. um, as, as I've noticed, right? Or yeah. someone gets hospitalized, right? 
you're in town, you're the lead pastor, you're always on call for those things? Is it ever right to say, no, now's not a good time? I'm in the middle of a family celebration or we're just about to head on vacation. Um, Yes, I do believe there is a time for that. You know, there is a, uh, I, I, you know, it's hard to be black and white on on something like this. You know, if, if, uh, you know, let's just say, you know, um, uncle Clarence who has been, let's say dying for the last two years, all of a sudden passes away. And I, all of a sudden, I mean, you don't plan it, but, you know, he passes away. Yeah. It's not nearly as critical, I think, to, let's say, drop everything and leave your daughter's birthday party right. uh, to, to go to the hospital to be with somebody as it would be for, you know, the 38-year-old mom who, you know, gets into a car accident and she's on death's door and she's at the hospital and the family is all rushing there. You know, at that moment, I think y- you r- recognize that uh, and I would hope your family would recognize this is an emergency. This is not just pastoral care. This is an emergency. Mm-hmm. So to say, yeah, there there are definitely differences there. Um, but y- you are correct. The pastor is twenty four seven. But yeah, well, anyway, go ahead. The, the external pressure is there. So as an executive administrator at Rush Creek Bible Church, I've I've heard this over and over again. It's usually couple weeks, a couple months following a hospitalization or something to that effect. And the statement is, yeah, I'm I'm really disappointed the church doesn't care. No one visited me while I was having the surgery. And I'm like, well, I'm kind of familiar with the scenario. You know, I think Jim visited you and Bill and his wife, Mary. And, you know, you start listing the people. And really what that statement is, is the pastor... Pastor John did not visit me, (laughs) therefore the church doesn't care about me. And so I just want to recognize that that's that's a very real expectation. You're being measured as a pastor by the life events, the pivotal life events that you are or aren't able to attend, right? And that's 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 a pressure. Yeah, yeah, and and I think similarly in in so many of our churches, even as we introed this um, this episode. So many of our churches don't have multiple staff. In fact, their yes. pastor might even be part time, and and so there are basketball games being played, and there are family events, and there are funerals, and there are weddings, and and that pastor might not have a youth leader, and they might not have anybody else, and they're doing. There's a, a sense of pressure on that pastor to be present everywhere. Um, John, how how does how does a a pastor of a small church balance that. I think to Brett's point, there is that difficulty just that stands even in large churches. But how does a small church pastor, how how have your colleagues or how have you watched small church pastors balance that incredible pressure of being present? Well, one of the things that, you know, just to address something really quick here, yeah. we use the term balance and the, the, the feeling of the word balance is in some ways uh, um, it's it's unavailable because if, if you say something is balanced, we almost imply no conflict. There's no pressure. There is a point in which I can reach a place in which there is no tension here. It's imbalanced. And I would rather say, and I know that the, 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 the phrase is very common, balance. 
But I would almost say, how do we handle the tension between these two things? Because they are always in tension. It, it's like there are rubber bands connecting either side. Both want to pull us. And so there, there comes to that place. I, you picture a trampoline. You know, the trampoline has all those springs pulling it from all the way around. But that thing, in, that, that, that bouncy thing in the middle is always in tension. But if you start taking springs off of the half of it, it will pull to one side or it won't. So how can we envision this topic as how do we handle the tension that's yeah. always present? Yeah, good word picture. So, so now, now when I think of, of, of a small church pastor, a lot of times, um, you know, a, a small church, I think, can really stroke the egos of pastors. Mm. And, uh, and so because they do, they, they, they almost let that pastor know, pastor, boy, you do this and you do that. And it's amazing. And I thank you for this. And it, it can be this. It's a drug. It really can be a drug. I think the best thing that pastors can do, whether you are a small church pastor, medium church pastor, whatever, is to make sure that you are preaching, you are teaching, and you are modeling that you are not the church. Mm. Mm. <laughs> the, the, the church is the church, and you are one piece of the church. And so the more that I, one of our core values at Frontline Bible Church is to be the church. Um, we even have shirts that say, I don't go to church. I am the church. We are to be the church. So we are to constantly be reminding our church people that the church is the church. The pastor is not the church. And so uh, so I think for, for small churches, the more you can preach and teach on this in the good times, mm -hmm. and the more that your congregation hears this on a regular basis, even maybe celebrating when Bill went to the hospital. Man, Bill, you went to go visit so and so this week, man. Kudos to you. Uh, you know, the more you celebrate when the church is the church, I think it 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 does bring some of that pressure down on the pastor to be viewed as the church mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah that you know, I, that that brings to mind this idea. I think at the at like the core when we think about what can we do as as ministry leaders. You've mentioned it a few times, and Brett, you mentioned it too, this idea of communication, of communicating to my family, hey, you know, there is a, an emergency that could happen at any given time that I might have to change things, and and everyone being okay with that, and or accepting that, and having that communication, and, and talking with your congregation that says, you know, we all need to elevate to a place of meaningful connectivity with each other and, and the, in the ministry of the church. You know, that idea, John, ha have you, has that been an intentional process in your in your marriage and in your church and in your board? Have you been working toward that? Hey, this is this is something, or did they was that just the nature of the culture, the ethos of your of your church? That communication, that openness, that that ability to ju juggle that tension, I suppose. I I would say it's been uh um in some cases intentional. Um, if it was completely intentional, then I would look like I'm some really smart guy, which I am not. Uh, by the grace of God, <laughs> I can say we have been pretty intentional. And, and I think in, in some ways, and I know this isn't a talk about sabbaticals, but in some ways, the sabbatical helped immensely in that process five years ago. Because I remember having that conversation. If I'm on a sabbatical and a person dies here, am I responsible to come? off of my sabbatical 
and do that funeral. In other words, what are the scenarios? What are those things? You know, if if so-and-so goes into the hospital because of something, how is the church going to care for this? And I remember having many conversations with my church, with my leadership before I left, in which we were kind of setting those ground rules. And I think even through that process, the church saw, you know what, we can function without this guy. Now, praise God, they still gave me a job when I got back. Uh, mm. But it was still a, a sense of, no, you know what? we can be the church. It's not Pastor John being the church for us. It's we can do this thing and be in the church. And so I think the sabbatical was part of that intentional process. Praise God for the Pastor Jacks and the Scott Rolfs in the past who who also helped communicate some of those things. I think it's created a, a definitely a better culture at Frontline because we've been willing to have these these conversations and talk about this. So, John, as we wind up this podcast, and by the way, I've gotten a couple incredible insights from you. Uh, one question, and it's sort of born out of the fact that if I were a younger pastor listening to this this episode, I there would be a lot of good nuggets that I'd want to take away from this. But what if I'm a few years down the road in my ministry, and that imbalance has just played out negatively? poorly. Um, what what advice would you give to pastors who are saying, well, that's in the past, I've kind of lost, <clears throat> the consequences have already arrived? Yeah. Okay, so I'll start with older pastors, and I, and I feel like I, I'm, I'm the guy in tension because I'm almost 50, so I'm not older, but I am older than the young guys, so I, I'm in this weird middle stage here. Um, boy, boy, I'll tell you, I, I I have seen God's grace be so amazing. And I know that's cliche, but I can truly say that. I, I look in, in, in my opinion, some of the older pastors in my life who I have the utmost respect for. And as, as they have been willing to admit publicly, um, maybe publicly to their church or maybe publicly to me as a pastor, or, you know, privately to me as a pastor, whatever, but as they've been willing to admit, you know what? Hey, I haven't always done this right. And, 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 but by the grace of God, I'm going to make a change going forward. It's not too late, man. I, I'll tell you, that would speak to me as a, as a middle-aged pastor and maybe some of the young pastors that it's never too late to make a change. It's, it's never too late to acknowledge this. And so maybe, maybe for you, 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 you are, you've had the ministry mistress for a lot of years. Maybe it's time to, to tell that mistress to go away and, 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 and really surrender that mistress tendency to back to God and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I, I, I want to finish well and, and help me Lord to make the changes necessary to, to surrender this. And, and I, I want to finish well, but if you don't mind, I want to speak to the young guys who are maybe hearing this. Yeah. I have watched young guys maybe watch this pendulum shift go the other way because you know, the, the, um, the generation before me, man, the, 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 the weight of ministry was crushing on them. And so as a result, I think uh, in my generation and maybe younger, there's been this sense of don't forsake your family. Don't forsake, you know, even, even your own health. Don't forsake some of these things. And as a result, I would almost say like it's, it's almost pushed it to the other extreme, like Put your family above all ministry. Put your your own self above all ministry. And and be and through that, 
it's almost given that sense that ministry needs to really take that back seat. And I say, no, anytime you get out of tension one way or the other, you are going to create trouble. Hmm. And uh, so I, I, I want to say to the young people, you know, even I, I think of this verse and this came to my mind as we were preparing for the podcast, you know, when, when Jesus in, uh, in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, he says these words, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves the son or daughter more than we, more than me is not worthy of me. And, and I think, you know, you, you have, there's that one side. If you prioritize all family stuff above all ministry stuff, I think Jesus would speak to you. And yet, what would Paul say in first Timothy chapter three, anyone who doesn't know how to manage his family well, um, don't consider him for elder mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and not just elder, you know, but even I would go so far to definitely don't consider him for pastor. So we, we live with this tension we have to embrace this tension and be okay with that. Mm-hmm. But it's important to do both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially I think to that point of the perception of it, you know, um, we, we as board members of a church have got to be able to advocate for our pastor and advocate for our church so that we can talk about it properly and we can yes. defend it properly when there is that um, tension loss, maybe, you know, um, when, when we see that pastor um, struggling through that process or we, we see people critical of our pastor because he doesn't seem to be working hard, you know, those kinds of things. As a yes. board member, we have to advocate and, and, and properly recognize the situation. Um, Yes. Hey, yes. John and Brett, do you guys do either of you guys toward this point of of handling this this tension properly? Have you maybe got any resources, um, anything that you know are available to pastors that would help them um, balance or work on how to do this? Anything that you guys would recommend to our our listeners? There is a book that I remember, and I'm looking. Uh, actually, see who the oh, I know who it was now. Okay, there, there was a book that I read a few years ago, and it was called Making Room for Life by Randy Frazee. Uh, Randy Frazee, F R A Z E E, Randy Frazee. And I remember reading that uh, before I went on my last sabbatical, actually, uh, because it did it, 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 it helped me to rethink maybe how busy we get at church. How busy oftentimes we can make our ministries that we take people away from the simple opportunity of having enough time to, to get together with their neighbors, you know, to, to actually do life with family. Now, I don't agree with everything he says in there. I think he he, he paints another picture. But if, if you want to maybe get a, a, another view of of of, um, of an openness in life, even in ministry, maybe read that book, Making Room for Life by Randy Frazee. I thought that was pretty good. Um and and then the other piece for me is just, it's a spiritual problem. Uh, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> and I, I don't care whether that's positive or negative. Uh, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I, I say oftentimes, and I, and, I, and I point my finger vertically, you know, because it's a podcast, you can't see me. But I, I point my finger vertically and I say, if this is off vertically, then this is off horizontally. If If my relationship with God is is not uh, vibrant and, and, and I don't lose relationship. I, I use that, lose that fellowship. If this is off vertically, it, it's going to be off 
horizontally with my family, with my church family, with my neighbors and my friends. It's going to be off. Whereas if this is right vertically, this will be right horizontally. And uh, so, yes, there's a book, but yes, it's a spiritual issue too. You know, John, that's 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 an excellent closure to this conversation. We we have there's so many nuggets here that we're going to dive back into in, in other episodes. To our listeners, we just want you to know we, we'll link the book that Pastor John referenced in this for you to be able to look into or purchase. Um, thank you for that. Uh, one of the things that we also want to talk about is the idea of connecting with the the, the Grace Gospel Fellowship main office. We. We, we can help you understand what a sabbatical is. We can help you understand how to present that to your board or how to speak to it at the, at the, even at the sermon level we have. We can come alongside you in that area. Excellent. Good. Good. Well, John, I've really yeah. appreciated some yeah. of your insights. Uh, two takeaways for me have been just um, it's not really semantic when we talk about balance versus tension, right? Yeah. So we're not doing something wrong if we feel tension. Um, it's not this light and airy feel all the time, but perhaps there's a grid that we we need to sift our priorities through when we feel that tension, right? And yes. and the other yeah. insight is just allowing the church to be the church, because just because a pastor can do everything, maybe is gifted at everything, the more the pastor is doing, perhaps is kind of robbing the congregation of being the church in in unknowingly. And so stepping back is not a bad thing to allow the church to perform some of those functions as well. Definitely. Any party thoughts, John, before we close our time together with you, brother? The only thing I would say, and this is something practical maybe for pastors to do today, um, go above and beyond when it comes to communicate why you do what you do with your family. Um, I can remember many times driving with my kids to church in the morning and I would ask them, why are we going to church today? Why are we going to church? And, and I would get the eye rolls, uh, you know, why are you asking? every time you're asking this, but I would say, why are we doing this? And, it, and I would say, because it's our chance to be together with the body of Christ because we need each other. And why are we going on a mission trip? And we talk about it, the why, the why, the why. So maybe take an opportunity. Why are you going to visit the Green family tonight? Actually talk to your kids. Talk to them. Ask, tell them, this is why I do what I do. And, the more, and I think if we, if we tell people the why, even if we get the eye rolls, hopefully it will, it will sink in. We're not just leaving one or leaving the other. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And hopefully maybe that will help with that tension that maybe they're feeling. Friends, listeners, uh, one of the reasons we really felt like Pastor John was such a good resource for this episode was today, as he introed at the beginning of this, today he is in a foreign mission field with his family in this commitment to finding and balancing tension in, 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 in his ministry life, in his personal life, in his family life. Uh, Pastor John, it, it, it was gracious for you to share time. I know we're in a different time zone, and and all. And I, I'm I'm grateful for you. And 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 Brett, thank you for being part of this this particular episode. We're going to come back, listeners. We're going to come back and and probably unbury some of the the great nuggets that we were able to see today. So thank you for being part of this, Brett and, and, and Pastor John. My pleasure. Thanks Absolutely. for the invite. You bet. Mm-hmm.